Hello and welcome. I'm Matthew Smith and I'm Managing Editor at Investment Magazine and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check our website, investmentmagazine.com.au and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this episode. I'm joined today by Aaron Grehan, Deputy Head of Emerging Market Debt at Aviva Investors. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, Matt. G'day, and great to have you on today's episode of Market Narratives. It's obviously a really interesting time from a macro point of view in light of um, potential for rising inflation, central bank reactions, as well as you know, all the uncertainty on the um, growth outlook. Can you talk a little bit about the emerging market debt opportunity in this broader context? The, the external environment is, is very important for emerging market debt. And, and as you've highlighted, there's, there's many factors that, that need to be focused on at the moment. Uh, there are some justified questions being asked around the outlook for inflation, the outlook for growth, what that means for emerging market debt countries. But ultimately, we think that supportive conditions will persist for financial markets uh, and that will continue to, to offer good conditions for emerging market debt assets to, to perform. Now, the term Goldilocks has, has been used in, in the past to, to explain the, the environment that, that we were in. We don't feel that that translates to, to where we are today, perhaps makes it sound a little, little bit too good. Uh, but the the concerns around inflation and growth and some of the issues being attached to emerging market debt at the moment seem to be exaggerated in our opinion. So the outlook mm-hmm. seems to be more supportive than than the commentary currently suggests. When looking at recent developments, I mean the announcement of taper from the Fed was was seen as a as, as a hawkish move uh, that we think was a surprise to the market, uh, but should not be taken as a sign or a signal of a, of a hawkish Fed. Uh, rate normalization or much higher interest rates in the US or, or globally is still very much a risk scenario for us. Yes, central banks have to manage the, the current inflation situation, uh, but we agree with them that it is transitory and we don't think that they will be forced into, into reacting and, and moving forward the, the policy decisions. So we think that they'll continue to be gradual and patient uh, and focused on growth and supporting the, the recover, recovery that we find ourselves in. Uh, with regards to to the outlook for growth, uh, expectations have called from the the higher optimism that existed or greater optimism that existed in in Q1 of this year. Uh, but the outlook is is still positive. Uh, it's a slower, a lower and slower recovery than initially expected, but still one that's supportive for for financial assets. Uh, we'd say that in the last quarter or two that the the recovery has stalled, uh, but we're seeing it pick up once again. And the outlook into the end of this year uh, and for next year does look positive. 
So all up, we're, we're comfortable with the outlook for financial markets. We feel that there's the right balance of kind of growth and monetary policy uh, to support emerging market debt. There are specific issues within the universe that, that we need to deal with. There are challenges being faced by many countries and, and companies uh, within the universe, uh, but the broader conditions are supportive. Uh, and we think that the opportunity is attractive because of that. There just needs to be a, a focus on the factors that drive the different parts of the emerging market debt world, looking at hard currency versus local, sovereign versus corporates. That there's different factors, different ways to approach those parts of the asset class. Uh, but ultimately, there is strong attraction within them uh, and uh, and attractive return opportunities for those asset classes. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that in a moment. Firstly, I, you know, I wanted to pick up on something there. You know, a lot of the, it seems to be quite prevalent in the conversations with asset owners here, the focus on on credit portfolios in, in this environment. I'm wondering kind of how, how that EMD, the, the emerging market debt fits within the context of that, you know, credit exposure profile. Well, we think that emerging market debt hard currency, both sovereign and corporate, should be seen in a global credit context. Mm. So first of all, you should look at those asset classes as part of your credit allocation. And then when looking specifically at the outlook for credit, obviously the the inflation concerns now don't kind of transmit in, in a particularly positive way in terms of the, the outlook uh, for returns. Uh, but what EMD can offer uh, is... Uh, a better ability to manage to manage changing macroeconomic conditions. So it's, it's a blend of both investment grade and high yield if you look at the major indices. Mm. And therefore, there's a, a credit beta decision that's undertaken by many managers. And we've got the ability to, to shift between investment grade and high yield to adjust to these changing macroeconomic conditions. And, and in, the, in the current environment, a skew towards better quality high yield can protect you from rising rates uh, and offer you something that is more attractive or more resilient to say just an investment grade allocation. Mm. But then the ability to use investment grade and, and change your allocation offers you more protection on the downside from say growth concerns or, or a, re a real de-anchoring of the outlook versus just a pure high yield allocation. Yeah. So there's there's the ability to adjust within emerging market debt hard currency uh, that gives you the ability to, to to change your exposures in a in a more volatile macroeconomic environment. Yeah, I mean, let's at the top pick off you know one of the elephants in the room. You know, it's you know there are the the risk you know and the challenges in this environment for investing in emerging market debt. Um, you know, is is absolutely there. Can you talk me through? You know some of those those risks and and how you're navigating them. So we've we've meant kind of an initial stage. I mean, inflation and and growth are are the two broader concerns that are there yeah. currently. More specifically, with inflation, uh, it's tied to what the Fed is is likely to do. I mean, hard currency debt and EM is is mainly dollar based. Uh, very much driven by interest rates in in the US and uh, and obviously the the outlook for for the dollar. Uh, if 
the inflation pressures in the US uh, start to build, if the Fed see that as less transitory and, and more structural, that provides upward pressure on rates and will lead to an increase of borrowing costs. For, for all countries that, that issue countries or companies that issue in, in dollars, but the sensitivity to uh, of EM to those rising borrowing costs is is greater. So that that's very much a risk, a, a a very different outlook for interest rates than we currently have now. Upward pressure on borrowing costs and an exposure of some of those vulnerabilities that are, that exist across the EMD universe is is most definitely a risk. And on the flip side, with with growth, it's the the impact on risk premiums, uh, specifically on on the growth concerns. We are currently looking at China, and the 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 impact that the current issues in the property market could have on the outlook for China. Emerging market debt is probably more sensitive to the growth outlook in China than it is in the U.S. Yeah, and clearly it would be a, a very negative scenario if we were to see what we term U.S. exceptionalism. So outperformance of U.S. growth leading to upside pressure on rates. Whilst we see continued challenges in China, a weaker outlook there. And in summary, that's a bit of a double whammy. So mm. you get the, the weak growth and the pass through of that into from China into EM, which has a, a greater negative impact at the same time that you get the the upward pressure on borrowing costs and an exposure of the vulnerabilities that comes from the US. So that's, as a risk scenario, that US exceptionalism is, is the one that we're most focused on. And that would be exaggerated if the growth outlook from China continues to worsen. Yeah. And and just on that, can you paint a little bit, bit of a picture? Um, can you extrapolate, <clears throat> excuse me, um, on what that could look like? I mean, um, you know, I've doomsday scenario in a way, you know, can you, can you extrapolate on that a little yeah. bit? Well, it's not necessarily doomsday. Yeah. And I think that emerging market debt is often seen as kind of a highly volatile asset class, and it, it doesn't have to be. As I mentioned before about the blend of investment grade and high yield that's within the major market universes, uh, major market indices, sorry. And so it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a volatile asset class. It can be managed in a way that's that's more defensive. Uh, but yeah, the doomsday scenario, if you will, would be much higher borrowing costs in the US, uh, meaning that a growing number of countries in the universe would be able, unable to access the market, uh, which could lead to liquidity and then solvency issues. So the, the doomsday or worst case scenario is a growing default rate within our universe as borrowing costs become unsustainable or, or the markets una- unopen or not open and, and countries are unable to, to finance debt. Hmm. And, you know, you mentioned it at the, at the top and then also um, just a moment ago, the I guess the, <clears throat> the uneven um, or the different, um, you know, ways in which, you know, regions across the, the world, um, you know, could, um, you know, navigate um, you know, these scenarios. Can you give me a little bit more detail about certain regions and, and which ones perhaps could perform differently or better than others? Yeah, so as I've said, there's a lot of focus on the outlook for, for growth in, in China. Yeah. 
clearly that's going to have a bigger impact on the broader Asian region, but also on on commodities. Yep. And then outside of that? Uh, Outside of that, Latin America is is quite a kind of differentiated region. I mean, there is dependence on commodities from from some countries, and that ties back to the the kind of China China outlook and Mm -hmm. the impact on commodity demand. But there's also a number of countries, Mexico being a great example, that are tied to, to the U.S. and would benefit from strong growth within within the US. So generally speaking, kind of a weaker gen, a China outlook would have a negative impact on the Asian region and on commodity exporters. Whereas those countries with greater or closer ties to the US would, would perform better. I mean, that's putting it very simplistically, but even within Latin America, uh, there's a very kind of differentiated set of countries and there's some that are very reliant on on commodities. But I mean, that said, the outlook for commodities does seem to be reasonably strong, driven by both supply and demand. So we're, we're not concerned around that. Uh, but there has to be caution at the moment with with Asia, given the, the questions being asked around China. Ultimately, we think that the authorities manage the situation there and, and growth is is likely to come in at a level that doesn't pose broader challenges. Uh, but for the time being, the, the questions being asked, of, asked are justified. Hmm. Uh, and that does, does lead us to apply some, some caution. Yeah, look, look, let's talk a little bit about the active managers in this space. I know you've done a little bit of work um, looking at um, performance and risk within um, active manager portfolios. Um you know, and and, um, and had a look at ones that have, you know, performed and failed to perform. What have you learned about the ability for active management to deliver outcomes in EMD? Yeah, I think this, this comes back to the point I've, I made around the perception of emerging market debt being a, a more volatile asset class. That perception has been fed by the way in which many managers approach the asset class. Uh, in the work that we've done, we have identified number of biases within active funds, the main one being this, this skew towards higher higher yielding or, or lower, lower rated assets. So in an effort to, to generate the higher returns that people expect from emerging market debt, there's been a bias towards higher yielding or, or lower rated assets. Mm. That creates fund profiles that can deliver in strong markets but underperform in down markets. So there's a lack of consistency hmm. from, from many managers in the universe and a kind of greater beta or element of directional risk that's taken, which we feel can lead to misperception of, of the asset class and the outcomes attached to it from, hmm. from underlying investors. So our approach is one that looks to be more consistent, balance between investment grade and high yield, remove those biases, use the full range of the asset class, much of which is, is still very high quality, hmm. and, and try to push back against those, uh, those misconceptions, if you will, uh, and, and argue for an allocation that's more structural because we think the asset class, although it has its challenges, is still deserving of a structural allocation and, and should not be used in a way that's, that's tactical which many investors we we see are still doing. 
Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So in the in that kind of total portfolio context, um, you know, you're obviously saying that, um, you know, that that uh, EMD has a more of an SAA um, position or, or or value um, than tactical. Um, I mean, can can I push you a little further on that? I mean, um, to what extent um, do funds? Are you kind of saying they don't quite understand, um, you know, EMD well enough, and 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 uh, and are able to kind of put that in in practice, or you know, is it a perception issue? What what, what else is in the mix there? Yeah, I don't think it's the fact of not understanding. Yeah, I think it's it's maybe not fully appreciating the the benefits, and maybe not seeing it within that global credit context that I suggested people should see it a, a few minutes ago. And so, it remains off benchmark or kind of independent of credit allocations for, for many investors. And we think it should be brought into a kind of wider consideration uh, and, and seen as a global credit asset class because it poses many of the characteristics that exist with, within, that, within that arena. And so there has been an element of, of education that's been needed over the past 10 or so years. The asset class has evolved, it's grown, we take EM corporates, for example, that's seen huge growth over the last 10 years. It's moved from being periphery within emerging market debt hmm. uh, to now being a size that allows it to be viewed on a standalone basis, and not just within emerging market debt, but within that global credit context. So I think that it's not a lack of understanding, but, but perhaps there's, there's not a been the change in approach that is now justified given the scale of the universe and the and the way that it is able to be viewed in that global context. So it, it, investors need to catch up with where the asset class is. Perhaps it's being viewed too much in a under a historical lens. Mm-hmm. It needs to be viewed based on what it is today, the scale of what it is today and the, the benefits that it can offer you and the diversification that it that it has, which it, it did not offer say, eight to 10 years ago. Yeah, interesting. And look, maybe looking at that from a slightly different perspective, how can we put that, um, your views there against the backdrop of perhaps the, you know, the market environment or perhaps even the cycle, you know, where we are um, you know, as an entry point for investors or where they might be thinking about um, the, the cycle in relation to um, this asset class? I mean, is it a good time now to to um, to be in a position or to be increasing or decreasing, a, 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 you know, an allocation towards um, uh, EMD? Yeah, good question. As I said, there's a, there's a number of factors that we're focusing on mm-hmm. and there's many questions being asked around the macroeconomic uh, backdrop uh, that, that make timing decisions quite difficult now. Hmm. Um, and maybe it comes back to that point of you know, tactical versus strategic. At the moment, it's very difficult to have the conviction around a tactical allocation because of the, the complexity and uncertainties w- within the, the macroeconomic backdrop. But if we take that step back and, and look at the strategic arguments, uh, we think that they remain reasonably strong for emerging market debt. Mm. Uh, we think that the, the growth 
in the opportunity set, so the growing number of countries that have issued debt over the past 10 years, the increase in the number of corporate issuers provides a, a diverse range of opportunities that will always allow for, for strategic allocations. I think I mentioned about the ability to be able to adjust your allocation within the universe to the changing macroeconomic environment. I think that means that there will always be opportunities. It's just the way in which you approach them has to change hmm. and have an awareness of, of what's going on in the world. Just so in that context, can you talk about specific country qualities and characteristics? Yes, at the, at the moment we are skewed towards countries that we feel and companies that we feel offer a, a level of resilience versus the, the risks that are there within the external market. So I've spoken about the, the risk scenario being an increase or one of the risk scenarios, including an increase in, in US rates and, and higher borrowing costs for EM. Hmm. That would uncover or expose vulnerabilities. Uh, and those countries that are more reliant on external market financing. Because of that risk now, we are focused on countries that are showing up as being more resilient or having a lower level of, of vulnerability. So those with lower debt, uh, less near-term debt, a, a diversification of funding sources so where they've got kind of local market access mm which gives them options versus the, the external market. And also countries that are adjusting policy so that they are less, uh, less vulnerable uh, and that they are more in control of their own destiny and not too reliant on what's going on in, in the external market. So, mm. Are there a lot of examples of that? Co co companies, I mean, countries using, you know, the kind of... Um, or pervasive macro environment to um, to make those types of decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, the countries that possess all of those factors are, are relatively few in number, but we don't need them to to possess all of them. We're just looking for mm -hmm. for where they kind of what well, where there are evidence that th those factors are are strong and as, as many as we can get exposure to, we we would like to. But the countries that but countries that stand out to us at the moment as offering attractive risk reward are the likes of Nigeria and Oman. So names that might be seen as, as slightly racy, I guess. Hmm. Uh, but in the case of Nigeria, you've got relatively low debt to, to GDP. Uh, you've got low short-term debt. So there is, there's, there's no risk of, of liquidity issues within, within Nigeria. You've got the benefit of higher oil prices that will feed through to, to better credit metrics for this year and we think into next year, given the outlook for, for oil. And, and that versus yields in the region of kind of 7 to 8% along the curve we think offers a, 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 a great prospect for, for generating sustainable and low volatility returns. So we see a story that is is resilient, not without its risks, but the yields of 7 to 8% across the curve comfortably compensate you for the risks that are there. The, the issues around higher borrowing rates and, and the, um, the kind of growth concerns that emanate from China are likely to be better managed by 
by Nigeria, and, and therefore see that as, as something that's attractive on a standalone basis, uh, but also in comparison to to the, the rest of the EM universe. Um, Oman, I mentioned as well, that's a really good example. And everybody sees that as an oil credit, uh, but we have seen a, a real improvement in policy take place in Oman over the last kind of 18 months to, to two years. There is a strong push for reform. There's strong improvement in the fiscal outlook that's not just driven by oil. Yes, supported by oil, but but more so by domestic policy. And we think that the the kind of balance of factors in Amman uh, are very positive. If we see it as a re-rating story, we feel that it's something that can continue to improve uh, and reverse the downgrades that have taken place, credit rating downgrades that have taken place over the over the past several years. So in Amman, we're looking at slightly lower yields than Nigeria, but something that's on an upward trajectory and supported by both the macro environment in terms of oil, but also domestic policy, which you're seeing a strong push for reform. Yeah, it's a fascinating conversation and, and really um, really interesting insights there, um, Aaron. Um, thanks so much for that. Um, you know, just f- further along there, that, that point, I mean, how uh, what are some of the ways, you know, practically you're able to um, you know, capitalize on those opportunities, you know, uh, um, you know, is it a, a kind of a value play in terms of it not kind of being reflected in the price or, or kind of a harvesting of, of risk premium? What, how, can you talk, talk me through a little bit kind of deeper on that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, we're talking about hard currency more specifically today. And that's, as I said, a credit asset class. So you should be looking at to, to generate income. And, and strong risk-adjusted returns. So really within our process uh, and within our approach to the asset class, uh, we're looking to generate those strong risk-adjusted returns. So where you see excess risk premium or, or a compensation for fundamentals that kind of overstates the, the risks is where we see the, the greatest opportunity. I mean, in the current environment, we do have a preference for high yield. We do feel that we remain in a in an environment that's supportive for for credit returns, uh, and therefore a preference for high yield. Uh, but your your credit selection is very important, given the dispersion of that's within the emerging market debt universe, and given the range of kind of fundamental challenges or, or fundamental issues that that are there. So we're looking more within the high yield universe for opportunities. We're looking to deliver those strong risk adjusted returns. We're looking, as I said, for countries that offer some level of resilience uh, and protection against the the risks that are being highlighted from a macro level. And and we do that by paying very close attention to to the fundamental analysis and, and having as well, having a, a very broad approach to that analysis that includes both the, the traditional factors, the traditional financial analysis that you would expect, but also the, the ESG factors that are becoming increasingly relevant for investors. Always something that's been present within emerging market debt fundamental analysis, looking at 
kind of governance and and social factors and the political risks have always been there in EM. So we've extended that ESG analysis to to now include more of an environmental uh, assessment, uh, but a, a broad based fundamental fundamental assessment. Uh, a, a deep understanding of the risks that are there within the asset class and within the particular opportunities, and and an approach that looks to to generate strong risk-adjusted returns, and really give the give the benefit of the asset class to the investors in the most efficient way possible. So, it, in our opinion, the way in which you generate the best returns from emerging market debt. Is by allocating your capital to the right places and avoiding the wrong ones. Yes, you need to navigate through macroeconomic risks, uh, but it's about where you allocate capital that over the long run is going to to provide you with success or or not within your investments or allocations to the asset class. Yeah, look, um, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Matt.